The journal is brought to you by Treason Don't just blend, become Splitting Image Taxidermy Worth remembering Maxis Tires Covering PHs over any terrain Magnum Archery Black Widow Broadheads Always Deadly Carbon Core Arrows 100% premium carbon. PH Toolbox. Helping you make your own adventure. Doug, it's a huge honor to sit here in front of you today, <laughs> and especially after you taking me through a walk through this place. It's, it's the way that you've got time to do this. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for sitting down with us today. And and running through some of the basic side of things as far as the taxidermy goes, but you're an extremely interesting man. So I would like, before we get into it, just obviously just introduce yourself to everybody and just take it from there. <laughs> Firstly, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you very much. I appreciate you making the, the trip from deepest, darkest Africa in yeah. Queenstown to come through to Port Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, yeah, my name is Douglas. I own Splitting Image Taxidermy, have done for... Well, since it started, business has been running for, um, what are we looking at now? It's 2022, started the business in 2000 and 2004, 2003, 2004. Um, humble beginnings with a small team and absolutely no idea how to get there. But just through sheer determination and a bit of ignorance along the way, yeah. <laughs> it's it's brought us to where we are today. So. But Doug, you, you, I mean, you started out in the industry. I mean, you were, like you were saying earlier, you were a, a guard at Chamori, right? I was a guard at Chamori. Okay. That was where, where the door was opened to get into the industry. Mm. Um, I left school with, with a report card that looked like a political statement, <laughs> EFF. It was, it was quite rough. Um, I, had, <laughs> I didn't really know what to do with my life, but I always loved the bush. And I come from a, a hunting and wildlife family. Okay. Um, my uncles, my grandfather was a, a professional hunter in East Africa. My uncles have all hunted for 40, 50 years. I mean, it, it, it's a strong, a strong thing in our family. Okay. Being in South Africa, I was removed from the East African hunting side of things mm. and really didn't know what to do. So I managed to get a job at Shamari Game Reserve as a, a guide, a jeep jockey. Okay. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. And I'll always be grateful to Adrian Gardner and the team that literally grew me into the wildlife industry. Um, from there, I went and guided in East Africa, spent time in Kenya as a walking safaris guide. That was a remarkable experience and an Imagine absolute that. privilege. I saw wildlife yeah. that I never dreamt I'd seen. Mm. Um, spending time behind the camera nurtured a bit of an artistic feel around wildlife. Okay. And built up a database of wildlife photographs. Hmm. Coming back to South Africa, I went back to Shamari Game Reserve. And it was great to be back. But after guiding in East Africa, where it's these monumental areas, massive hmm. migrations, to come back to the, the private game reserve industry in South Africa was, it was a, a smaller environment. Okay. And, and I started to feel as one does when you get slightly older, ever so slightly, um, I wanted to expand. So I thought, let me go and try and be a professional hunter, like my uncles and like my grandfather. And uh, it turns out I'm probably one of the worst professional <laughs> hunting guides 
Eastern Cape in South Africa has really? ever seen. Um, <laughs> I've been teased about it my whole career. I'm, I, I can get into a position and hunt myself. Okay. Love hunting. Mm. Um, I put food on my family's table from hunting. My freezer is full of game meat yeah. that I've harvested. Um, but I can't take a client and put them in the correct position to hunt and harvest a trophy. I just, there's something, there's some instinct yeah. missing. So it became clear that I needed to uh, look for new opportunities. <laughs> and then, then the world did one of its wonderful things and threw a curveball and we had the 9-11 oh, yeah. scenario that happened. That year I had a couple of clients booked to hunt and I was working in a company that had other senior guides their clients cancelled for fear of traveling. My clients who were still coming then got reshuffled to them. And I was left with a new double cab, a Jack Russell to feed, and a new pair of Oakley sunglasses that I was paying off. And I didn't have any clients. Um, and that's kind of where, where, where the taxidermy journey started. I think that, that, was, the, that was the tipping point. Yeah. Um, because there was a client in camp who was a world-renowned competition taxidermist by the name of Ben Hayden okay. from Texas. And I had the privilege of spending a bit of time with Ben, and he gave me some heartfelt advice to continue in the taxidermy industry. Hmm. And that's where it began. And, I mean, it's just it's pretty much the same situation that's happened to us, what, two years ago with this whole COVID thing. And, I mean, there we go. for you to I, – I just I, – I get inspired by walking through here and the amount of sheer – I mean, taxidermy aside, just the amount of different things you've got going on. It's, it, I, I promise you I walk through here and I, I get goose flesh. And it's just <laughs> – it's, it's all inspiring. I mean, how you've – in such a short space of time, you've progressed this this industry. But what what what's made you just be motivated to keep thinking out of the box? Situations like you were put in where you know you were a PH, and then you had to think out of the box now, or is it just the industry that's just growing into a different side of things? The industry's changed. It has changed. Um, when I got into taxidermy, the, I was I was young in an older generational industry in South Africa. The other taxidermists yeah. were older than I was. They okay. had established businesses. And there was no new young blood coming in. So there was one or two smaller businesses starting up. And I was very much the, the youngster in the, in the pile. Okay. Um, which gave me the opportunity to, to fail and not fall as far. Because when you're younger, you don't fall as far. Mm. If I were to start taxidermy in my in my 40s or 50s, I think, I think I'd be a lot more apprehensive. Okay. Um, so there was, in the Afrikaans were, there was a lot of domkrach. Mm. You just, you don't really know what you're doing. You just push forward. Keep going. Regardless. So there's that aspect. I was at the right place, the right time, the right age. And I, I had a, a burning desire to eat every day. And I either worked hard or I went hungry. So I, I figured working hard was a good option. Um, as I mentioned, scholastically, I, was, I wasn't over, overly enthusiastic about school. Yeah, yeah. It's not that I couldn't achieve, but I just it wasn't my thing. Um, and taxidermy came and offered me the opportunity to work with wildlife, which I'm passionate about. Mm. Artistic interpretation 
So from the photography side, I was able to take the canvas of the animal and the images that I'd seen and try and create these things. Yeah. Um, God, and the Eastern Cape back then was a, a relatively uncelebrated hunting region in South Africa, whereas today the second largest hunting province in the yeah. country is the Eastern Cape mm. because we've got diversity of species. It's safe to travel here. Um, the, the cost, overall cost of hunting is affordable, not just to the upper echelons, but to to the general Joe public like myself. Yeah. So I was in, in the right place, right time, right province, um, and a couple of lucky breaks along the way. Well, Doug, that's, that's something I wanted to get in. We touched on briefly just before we started here, was your conversion ratio. We were chatting about it. And at that time, what was one of the key things that you looked back at and you say, okay, well, this was key to convert, like you said, from the dip impact to the actual mounting. But what, what was key for you to say? Because, well, I mean, the, as far as taxidermists, I mean, there's a lot of taxidermists out there. Yeah, lots. But to, so to try and convince somebody to do something different, I mean, we can always pitch the fact that you do the best quality work and all that sort of stuff, but it's actually to initially bite them and do the conversion ratio. So what were you trying to do at that point to convince people otherwise? I, I think today I can articulate it. Back then, I honestly didn't know. I, okay. and, and I mean that sincerely. Today, I can articulate it and tell you that there's there's three principles. There's product, there's price, and there's service. Mm. You cannot have all three. It's impossible. Okay. Because if you want a great quality product, and you want incredible service, you have to increase your price. Mm. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. Mm. But if you want a cheap price product, the quality of the product is going to drop because you're going to take shortcuts. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to employ more people to service the clients and offer that service. So today I'll, I'll articulate it like that. But back then, instinctively I knew one simple thing. Hunters come and hunt. They spend money that's left over after their salary to shoot the special animal. Mm. I need to respect the animal uh -huh. and do as good a work as I can. I need to respect the client's investment and do right by the client. And somehow, I need to communicate and bridge the gap between the client overseas, which is our primary client, and South Africa. That's kind of what I tried to put together in the early days and created an experience for my clients saying, I will always respond to your mails. I'll give you feedback. I'll communicate with you and I'll tell you what I'm doing. If I'm running late, I'm going to tell you I'm running late. Yeah. If I'm running early, I'm going to tell you I'm running early. And I'm always going to own the situation. As far as the artwork is concerned, I'm going to research every animal and treat even the smallest animal, a diker or a springbuck, which may be simple to a seasoned hunter who shot the big five and everything else. But to that client, that one trophy, it, it holds a special place in yeah. their memory bank. And I'm going to make sure I honor that. And that was, the, that was kind of the, the initial drive and the initial approach to what we do. But doing the scale you guys do, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's absolutely awe-inspiring to see how much attention to detail you guys do. I mean, what, what, how many trophies you guys push through over lots uh, and the fact that that each trophy gets this hand touched i mean there was a, there was a there was a client that i 
I didn't hunt with personally, but I was in camp the same time or Cody Payne. Yeah. And how he he was just so impressed that you sent him photo videos and all this sort of stuff. Is that something that that you feel has been part of the success you have today? Or is it actually part of the work? Or is it a bit of both? There's a there's a film that my kids trapped me into watching recently. I'll, I'll answer your question in a roundabout way. They trapped me into watching this film called, I think it's called Yes Man. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So yeah. on, for one day, no matter what your kids ask, you've got to say yes. So I, I very much felt like the yes man of the taxidermy industry because a client would say, can you do a an offset wall pedestal mm-hmm. with one leg um, and the back hoof hung around its neck? Like, for sure. Can you make a knife? Absolutely. What about a rug? I've done them. Didn't matter. And if I hadn't done it, I'd say, I haven't done that, but I'm going to do it. Mm. And I'd go and research it and go back to the client and say, this is what I can do. This is how I'm going to do it. And this is why I'm going to do it. Hmm. So, yeah, we, we've, we've differentiated ourselves in that regard. But it's, it, it's come a long way since then. Um, something that hasn't changed, which is interesting. When I started, I always said, work on one client's order at a time. Okay. So in some businesses, you'll find they'll do all the springbuck on one day and yeah. all the kudu on another day and all the impala on the other day. And it looks pretty cool on the mounting stands because you mm. see all these kudus mm. lined up. That's quite cool. But I'm not there for the kudu as much as I'm there for the client. So we handle Cody Payne's work. Cody's work mm. would be on the stand at one time. So in order for us to assist Cody with his wish list, which was video footage while the process is happening, photography while the process is happening, and lots of communication. We could do that because at that time, we were, we were focused entirely on Cody's work. And when we yeah. finished Cody's, we go on to Bob's work. We finished Bob's, we go on to Charles's work. Mm. And we do client for client, order for order, which means that order starts in the tannery, moves into the taxidermy, gets mounted, it dries, it moves into the finishing, then it goes into the crating. And it, we literally have a FIFO, first in, first out scenario. So when you pay your deposit, you've been queued. Yeah. And that's how we're going to work it. Because, I mean, you're also one of the few that I've, I've ever seen with the, I mean, you showed me that Elon mount where it's molded, precisely to the way an eland looks and it's incredible because you stand there and you look at this thing and you're like holy crap i've never seen anything like that before and then all of a sudden like this whole thing just starts coming to life Mm. and stuff and it's incredible it's it's honestly incredible but i'm going to ask you from a ph perspective now because i sit here with the benefit of you being in the industry and i'm you know i'm there now it's how do you motivate how do you convince a professional hunter of, oftentimes you guys come and then you, you you'll i mean we sit down with warwick or whatever the case and then he'll run through and warwick's extremely passionate about what he does so it really it transcends into the whole pitch yeah. but as a professional hunter we sometimes we spoke about it earlier we sometimes are front line to the whole this whole bigger picture you know you're the, you're the face yeah so how do you i mean me walking around here now i mean it's, it's changed my perspective on taxidermy for life <laughs> but how do you expect a professional hunter to carry out a taxidermy role if their perspective on this thing is that 
you know, just take the guy who's cheaper or whatever. Because how many PHs are out there that are really passionate about the client getting the best experience? So kind of what I'm saying is if you're not dealing with that client as such, how do you expect a professional hunter to persuade him to come to you guys? You said something about Warwick, who's our sales manager. Yeah. Warwick is passionate. Yeah. Okay. He's he is enthusiastic. He's passionate. He's a he's a heck of a salesman. Yeah. He knows <laughs> how to sell. Sure. Let's be clear. Yeah. All right. Um, if I'm not enthusiastic and passionate about what I do every day, mm. I cannot expect the PH or the outfitter or the agent to be passionate about my business either. Okay. So when we walk into the front doors, we smile, we're grateful, and we we live by a very simple motto. Mm. Thoughtful, thorough, thankful. So in splitting image taxidermy, there are three T's. T-T-T. Okay? Thoughtful, thorough, thankful. We're always thoughtful of our clients. We're always thorough with what we do. And I'm always thankful that we have the opportunity and the clients come to us. By the same token, we're thoughtful of the pH. Mm. We're thorough with what we do for them. And we're thankful that the PHs are out there running the long shifts to assist us. Because on a Saturday, I might go and take my kids down to the beach or go for a hike in the mountains. But on a Saturday, a PH might be carrying an animal out of the mountains mm. in 40 degree weather. He might be skinning something on the edge of a cliff just so that they can get it onto the truck. Mm. He might be dealing with a client that's struggling just to, to get the nerve settled and isn't shooting as well as they would like to and the emotions come into it. So I'm privileged. I've been on the guiding side. Yeah. I've, I've tracked wounded animals and secured them, and it's been a hard day. I've got up at 3 in the morning and I've gone to bed at 11 at night when the final client goes to bed because the client's on holiday. Yeah. And they've yeah. had a couple of beers. Yeah. And they're up talking and they're chatting and jet lag might have kicked in so they don't want to go to bed. Mm. And the PH, he's on his fourth consecutive safari, hasn't seen his family, mm. trying to establish a life if his young guy wants to meet a girl, establish a life. It's hard. Yeah. Guiding's tough. tough. Mm. So... There are times where I look at the skin and I go, come on, chaps, you should have skinned that better. Mm. But by the same token, I'm also very much aware of their environment. So we make sure we give them good skinning knives. We make sure that the trackers are given the recognition they deserve. And recognition might be a new pair of hunting boots. Yeah. So we have very good relationships with some of the big shoe manufacturers in South Africa. And I've negotiated deals that will promote and endorse their boots. And we give them to the trackers. Because you do that and suddenly the tracker looks at us and goes, hey, we want to work harder for splitting image because they look after us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, silly thing, you would have seen something sort of last year where there's orange beer cans floating around. Mm. And the yeah. guys think I'm, I'm, I'm nuts. But yeah. there's a, a craft brewery that has given us one of their pilsners and we've branded it. And it's called 375. Mm. And this is sitting in the lodges, and a pH after a long day, a cold beer goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. They live a long way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. To, stay, to, 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 to motivate the pHs, to motivate the 
the, the trackers. That gives us quality of product. Mm. In terms of the, the pitch to clients, always honest, very sincere. Um, I believe in an open, open cards. Anyone who walks into this factory, I'll take you around. I'll show you the back of the factory, the front of the factory. Mm. My showroom is behind my workshop. So I'm not going to show you the show pieces first mm. and then forget about the workshop yeah. where the ugly happens. I'm going to say, these are our clients' trophies. That's what their work looks like. If you like that work, you're going to be happy. Wait until, yeah. And then they go into the showroom and they see what it looks like when it's all nicely lit and it's clean and, mm. and they go, whoa, this is awesome. Yeah. Our price factor is good. What you get for the price you pay, you get more. Hmm. Done. And I stand by that. The service is exceptional. We have client liaisons that look after the client's every need and always answer their mails. And as I mentioned to you earlier, when we were walking through the new development, we're now in a position where we're even managing the shipping for the clients. So there is still a shipping agent yeah. that's done really well for us. And I appreciate their support and we'll continue to support them. Mm. But we are going to get involved and put shipping liaisons in place that manage the experience of shipping to get the trophies to the client's home. More hands-on approach. And, and yes, Doug, it's, uh, that's actually how I, I was introduced to you guys. I, I think I sent in something as small as a mountain reback or a, co- or a springback or something. And just it was such a, call it a, a simple animal, but mm. the, the amount of communication was unbelievable. And that's something that that's my first priority as far as, especially new clients. When they're coming out to South Africa, they actually – they don't know no. what to expect or what to. I mean, uh, uh, last year, probably out of twenty or thirty odd clients I had, probably about eighty percent of them were all new, mm. and I just couldn't believe how we, we've got to take into consideration the first time comers a lot more. So the, the amount of communication was excellent. But what I wanted to touch on a on a on a topic, and and it's something walking through here, especially now you've. It's called Scully's, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what's motivated you to do something? And, and for those of you that are listening, uh, maybe just explain to them what, it, what it's all about. Okay. Scully, Scully's is we, – we're busy with the brand narrative at the moment. Um, mm. We have an in-house marketing team of some really clever people. And one of the things that just keeps coming up is that it's just, it's just really cool. All right. It, it's a collectible in the hunting industry. Mm. They are miniature, identical replicas of the client's skulls. Or you can buy from the collection where we've taken specimens that we like and we've created these miniature replicas. It's done embracing technology. So we've got incredible 3D scanners and 3D printers, mm. number one. The way that we make it cost effective is by not 3D printing everything. We would 3D print the master molds and then from there create molds that are hand cast and hand painted by artists. Mm. So this is not just a computer generated spat out little product. Yeah. This is something that's been carefully considered and an artist has taken the time to clean it, polish it and carefully paint the exact colors back into the horn and the correct patina into the bone. We've now packaged these things, and they're going out into curio shops. You can either have your own animal scanned and a Scully replica made of yours, or, as I said, you can buy 
from a collection. Yeah. We can do them in tin, brass, or bronze. From there, we can turn them into cufflinks, belt buckles, um, pendants, earrings. Yeah. And door, the deep door knockers. Door knockers corkscrews. Crazy. It's nuts. Um, my daughter even said, Dad, we, we've got to have Scully's Christmas decorations. So 2022 Christmas, yeah. there's going to be, I mean, we're going to have skulls hanging on our tree. Yeah. It's going to be world class. Yeah. One of the guys said, why don't we paint them with glow-in-the-dark paint? So that at night, they light up. And it, it, it's just a whole lot of guys having fun. And respecting, yeah. respecting an animal that that's given us all so much joy. But it's it's also it's just created a whole different field to taxidermy. Hundred percent. But do you think it's something that 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 might take away from the actual shoulder mounts that we've become so familiar with, or is it something that might actually promote it a little bit more? Or? I think it's going to add to it. Okay. I think it's going to add to it. One of our big drives is is a, um, a club within the business. It's called the First Buck Club. So okay. kids who shoot their first animal. Oh, yeah. All right? Hmm. You shoot your first animal, your local boy hunting around, going out to your grandfather or your dad. You can bring your first animal splitting image taxidermy. I need a picture of you with the traditional blooding on the cheeks. Hmm. And we'll mount your animal for free. Hmm. Shoulder mount, skull mount tan the skin no charge get a hunting cap at the end of it and a certificate and I want to hear your story mm. I want to hear the children's stories because those children become the advocates for hunting in the future now kids can't afford taxidermy because they only get so much pocket money mm. and I believe that kids should get pocket money and they should save yeah. up and it shouldn't just be thrown at them mm. that's my parenting style um don't hate me for it. Um, <laughs> Scullies are more affordable. Mm. And to kids, it gives them something to look forward to that one day I'll get mine mounted. And so we create the next generation of hunters and in taxidermy, the next generation of clients. Okay. But then let's not forget something. The 55-year-old businessman who's just shot an incredible buffalo. Mm. For him to have three or four miniature replicas of his skull, and he gives one to his son, one to his wife, and one he puts on his desk, and that comes to him for under $200. Yeah. It's a no-brainer. Mm. Share it. Share it. Hand them out. It's, con it's a conversation piece. It's a conversation piece. Yeah. And the fact that we can now do those in bronze in our foundry means that you can now create a high-valued miniature that is then passed on as a paperweight and sits on a desk. Mm. And all you do is you're busy working and tapping away at your, your daily jobs and life is slightly mundane for a moment and you look down and you see this buffer and you go, hey, my dad shot that. Yeah. That's cool. You know, so these, these, these sort of ideas are what motivated Scully's in a way. That and 2020 was a tough year. Yeah. Um, so we did what we do well and we, we took a chance and we thought out the box and we said, right, let's run with it. And now it's running strong. So. Doug, one of the, the questions and the, and the reason why I'm asking this is just to try and add on to the things you're doing differently um, was actually when, when we were in the States, we were chatting to Morgan and <clears throat> you guys have branched out to doing overseas uh, 
trophies now. I mean, I, I think I saw Arbex up top over there. Yeah, we, we've always done them. We just didn't do as many of them. Okay. We just, we happen to be getting more than ever before. Is it something you've chased though? You know, not really. Okay. I think what, what we've offered is a solution to South African hunters. Should they hunt internationally, we've turned around and said, we will manage the importation for you. We'll take the headaches away. Okay. We are credible in our art that we can mount them accurately and at a fair price. Hmm. I always said, I'm never going to be the cheapest. And I'm certainly not going to be the most expensive. Mm. But we do pitch in the top 30%. But with that top 30% come all the guarantees that if you do bring us a polar bear, we can mount it. If you do bring me an Ibex or we've done cashmere markors. I mean, that, that's yeah. millions. And we can confidently do the work, you know. Um, so that's probably why we so, see more yeah, coming in. Through the, the scullies and, in, you know, into this whole thing, uh, I think we, one of the shows as well, we saw a replica of, of a lion. Yeah, fantastic. Is that something you would consider? You know what, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if, if you can't do it well, don't do it. I'll always try and I'll okay. say I'll give it a go. The the guys that are doing that replica line, I'll tell you straight up and down, are doing a phenomenal job. Okay. I'm very proud to be in an industry mm. where there is a competitor company that is that has raised the bar, mm. hands down. Um, we got a hell of a brasser. Is it? Yes. Is it? $12,000 for a pedestal lion replica that is entirely synthetic and it looks like the real thing keep in mind if the client is from the usa mm. they do not pay international shipping of the finished product so that does save you some you don't pay dip and pack so that saves mm. you some you see you have a product that is going to last based on its synthetic nature and given the fact that at the moment you can't import lions by uh, mostly yeah. to the states, um, you're gonna shoot it at a discounted rate. Yeah, the guys are the guy. We still need to hunt the lions. Mm. Make no mistake. What people have never understood about a lion is that they breed faster than any sheep could ever breed. Yeah, done. Um, so I believe that there is there is a place for sustainable, mm. responsible, respectful hunting. And if someone chooses to shoot a lion and they want to have a replica done, that is an option. We have a relationship with that company. Okay. And we do broker the production of that lion for the client. Um, yeah, so good for them. But Doug, just getting into that with, you know, with the whole conservation side of things, obviously from a hunting perspective, we know what sort of influence it has. Mm -hmm. From a taxi, I mean, walking around there, that full mount rhino, and it's, it's just incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, have you seen a dip into in the whole industry as such with regards to those sort of animals? What high profile animals? Yeah, like you know the the, the top societies and all that sort of stuff. What I'm very pleased about is that there are regulations in place to govern how these animals are hunted. Mm. It's not a free for all. If you want to harvest a rhino. You literally have to submit CVs of your hunting experience. Yeah. You have to apply. And when you do hunt it, you have to pay. Mm. And you pay a heavy price. I think it deserves a heavy price. Because if you look at the cost of spreading the gene pool of a species like a white rhino, it's necessary to reinvest in the species. You have to. The only way to do that is 
to generate revenue. Yeah. It's not a meat animal. All a rhino does is it grazes. Mm. Okay. Hell of a lot. A lot. <laughs> it eats. Yeah. And I know that there is value in the horn, but it's illegal value. Mm. So at the end of the day, the, the final consumer that is saving that species, and uh, Dr. Ian Player said it, if you do not create value in an animal, it will fade away. Yeah. And where hunting is the final value giver. As long as it's done sustainably and responsibly and with the ethics of wildlife taken to, taken to heart, mm. go for it. So we have seen quite a few of these coming through. Um, I think with 2020, you ended up with a lot of big property owners having stock that Excellent. should have been hunted off because the, the carrying capacity of the land is only, only so high. They had to take off, which they would normally have done in a hunting season. Hmm. So, a year later, 2021, what we did see was instead of a guy shooting one impala, he might have shot two. Yeah. Instead of a guy coming in and shooting a sable on his own, he brought someone with and they shot one at a full price and they shot one at a slightly discounted mm -hmm. rate, which made made the landowner clear out his stock, mm -hmm. a very, very much needed injection um, of revenue back into his business. And the client got the benefit of great genes, yeah. animals that have been on the field for a year longer. Um, yeah. One thing <clears throat> I wanted to touch on, and the reason why I did, because I'm, I'm hoping some of the PHs that are listening understand this side of things, is the permit system. <laughs> and I know from my, from my side, it, it's always been something to try and get around, but I need, if, if you don't mind Doug, taking a bit of time and explaining why we write a PH register for per client, regardless whether, if I'm understanding this correctly, regardless whether it's a husband and wife. The pooling, pooling of clients, yeah. that's the question. Yeah. And we've, splitting image taxidermy has taken quite a hard stance on it. Okay. Um, but just to be clear, it's not from a South African perspective, it's more from an American. It's from a, from a US, US perspective, yeah. perspective primarily. So there's something called the Lacey Act in the US, okay. which prohibits prohibits two hunters pooling their individual trophies together in one crate under one client's name. I don't know the intricacies of, of the Lacey Act because I'm not a, a U.S. legal a, attorney, but it boils down to details surrounding tax. You okay. need to declare what you are spending and by pooling them together under one name. You're effectively evading that system. So you're not allowed to do it. Okay. But for years and years, taxidermists, outfitters, they've had a husband and wife, mm. Sarah and Bill, come out on a hunt, and Bill shoots eight animals, and Sarah on the hunt says, you know what, I've never hunted before. She gets taken up by the moment, mm. and she shoots her first springbuck, and she shoots her first impala. And what does the PH do? We'll just put her on Bill's name, because it's just a springbuck yeah. and just an impala. Fantastic. And for years and years, it went unchecked. But as social media and the movement against hunting has has gained momentum. They're constantly looking for new silver bullets to fire at the taxidermy industry and the hunting industry at whole. At last. So this has been implemented? This has been around for ages. Oh, really? So it's nothing different? I've been asking outfitters and PHs not to pull clients for the past eight years. However, yeah. recently there was a case where a... 
two hunters put their trophies into one crate. They pooled them and U.S. Fish and Wildlife contacted them in a very calm and collected way and asked them some basic questions, and the client didn't even see it coming. Mm. And the next thing that happened, the entire consignment got confiscated. There were crocodiles, there was various animals. So they basically came on a hunt, had all the taxidermy done, massive expense, and had the whole lot confiscated. They lost it all, and there's nothing they can do. Furthermore, when... The personnel that were involved with that order arrived in the U.S. They were escorted into a into a, a nice quiet room, and they weren't allowed to leave until they paid the fine. Hell of a fine. A proper one. I I believe, and I'm open to correction, and I do not want to be be the one who says that's the exact amount. But the stories I've heard, it's well in excess of fifty thousand dollars. $50,000 can buy you a whole new hunt. Mm. Why waste it by yeah. handing that out to a government organization because we didn't follow a simple rule? Yeah. So we've taken quite a heavy stance on it. There are taxidermists out there that will still say, listen, just put the impala and the springbuck in there. Okay. Okay. Splitting image taxidermy has taken quite a, a strong stance, contacted all the outfitters that we worked with and said, please, mm. if a child is older than 16, they must have their own hunting register and their own box. If a child is under 16, they must still have a hunting register, but their trophies can be put inside their parents' box or grandparent or family member. No two adults may share a crate. Whether you have one impala and your husband has nine other animals, you will have a crate with one impala in it. And your husband will have a crate with nine animals in it. What what, what does that add to... The cost of shipping. It doesn't. Do you know who loses? This is the worst thing. I lose. The taxidermist. Because it now costs us more in timber to crate the one animal and the eight animals separately. Because the, the shipping is calculated on volume. So whether... Oh, so it's, it's, not a, it's not a size... It's not a size thing. It's a volumetric measurement. So if you took that Impala and you added it onto the other crate, the volume is going to be the same. Uh, put the Impala inside the crate, it's the same volume. Same volume. But I've now had to make a second crate. And I'm not charging them more for the second crate because we charge crating based as a percentage of the total invoice. That's crazy. I didn't know that. So that, who's losing? Yeah. The taxidermist. Yeah. And the guys are going, but it's two crates to handle. Yeah. It's not. Because at the end of the day, you're shipping them at the same time. It is two physical crates. So I should actually say it's two consignments down. You still have to go through the customs and clearing. Is that, is that something you guys as taxidermists have thought of maybe contesting, fighting against? Because in all honesty, I mean, surely with the amount of paperwork that we do for our animals, surely there'd be ways to motivate that the two clients' trophies are in one crate. Or is that something that you're going, to, you're going to swim in red tape? There's so much red tape and so many hurdles. Really? Correct. Because you're not you're not just you're not approaching a government department that you can sit down and rationally discuss this with. You're approaching multiple departments. Yeah. And true. they then need to find consensus. Okay. And for them to get the final answer and then get it back to you by that that time, 
I'm, I'm not going to sit and wait. So from our side, we've just taken the approach of, right, let's stick to the rules exactly on yeah. the line. Yeah. And it's made us a bit unpopular with some people. We, we had a, a client who was about to do his work with us and said, if you don't do this, I'm taking my work elsewhere. And I said, sir, with respect to you, and I need to stand for something. That's saying if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Yeah. We had to take the stand. And my stand is simple. I'm here to protect the client. I will do whatever I have to do to protect the client and protect the industry that we're involved in so that no one can point a finger at us and say, yes, but you guys have been doing it. Mm. There's not a taxidermist in this country that hasn't included an impala into an order. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, what is very, very enlightening is to see how many good taxidermy companies there are out there in South Africa that are doing amazing work. And they're standing up and saying, guys, this is how it should be done. So we're all following suit. We're all doing it the right way. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's incredible awesome. to hear. And it's, but as, as far as uh, outfit and stuff, I mean, they, <laughs> sometimes I wonder if they're not the ones that are wanting to, they promote cutting corners and doing all that sort of stuff. So, But why wouldn't they? Because they want, they want to give the client the opportunity to shoot an extra animal. Yeah. And the fear of spending more yeah. money on shipping would reduce the opportunity or the, the potential of that client shooting another animal. I would agree with that. Which and takes revenue out of the outfit as well. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why I, I do so many of these podcasts and we've got videos. Our YouTube channel is fantastic. Yeah. Um, we actually put videos out and say, hey, guys, listen, although this is separating, it's making more paperwork for the PH mm. and the outfitter. And it seems like it's getting more technical. It is more technical. There's no gray area. It is yeah. more technical, but it's not costing you more. We're just we're just defining the lines of who the hunter is and which are which hunter's trophies. Has, has that been a difficult thing to kind of maneuver your way around being uh, this, having this perspective from outfitters that, you know, they, they don't quite reflect this sort of message across. And from your side, I mean, you've done an incredible job as far as social media, like you said, with YouTube and stuff to do that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, the outfit is the one that, that will be the, you know, like we said, the pH is the, the, the front line of the thing. The outfit is sort of like the last resort when they come to pay that bill. Yeah. You know, they start asking questions. and They ask the outfitter. And but again, it's, it's, it's tough because if I hadn't spent so much time in the industry, I might be less uh, understanding. I'm very understanding. Hmm. It's tough out there. The marketing trips that the outfitters go on annually to secure clients I take my hat off to them. They spend three to eight weeks away from their mm. families. They live out of a suitcase. And it sounds all glamorous. I'm going to America. Yeah. We're going to the shows. Let me be very clear. I've been to the States 48 times. Mm. It's a long way to go. Mm. I have three daughters. And I look at the, the accumulative months I've spent away from my family on marketing trips. And outfitters do this. And they go over there and... It is glamorous the first and second time, yeah. but it's tough being away from family. And I know I put a lot of emphasis on family. Um, I, I'm like that with my staff in the factory. Um, I do promote a very strong family ethic in my business. Um, so I do understand where the outfitters come from, that at the end of the day, they want to try and get bang for their buck, excuse yeah. the, the pun, but they want to make sure that the clients get the best possible value while they are out here. 
And if there's any uh, gray area where the client can save the money, the, the outfit, our, and I'm sure I would do the same thing, we'll say, hey, put them in the same box because it's going to save you money. Not because they're trying to do anything untoward. They just yeah. don't know. Yeah. So we're trying to educate. And so far, like I said, the good news is we're seeing so many taxidermists follow, follow this path. And the outfitters on our books have all gone and said, hey, we made a mistake on that one and that one. And they've corrected it. Mm. You know? so, so they're slowly being educated as well, well which is… That's, that's kind of the role of the taxidermist. We're not mm. just here to mount the animals. We're here to educate. We're here to certainly to entertain. Mm. Um, we're here to ensure that the client gets the memories that they hunted with the PH and the outfitter on their walls as soon as possible because that invariably triggers the next booking and purchasing action. Well, Doug, what, how, how important is that turnaround time, to be honest? It's very important. Just purely from, from a client's perspective or from your guys, your guys' side as well? I got some very good advice when I first started. And I, I, I can actually remember it well. When I had a, a smaller studio, lots of animals on the wall, and they looked really cool. And someone came into the, the studio, a South African businessman, very clever man. And he said, wow, this is impressive. It's very cool. Mm. He said, I just have to ask you a question. When do you get paid? I kind of looked at him, and I said, well, when we finish the work. He said, is that work finished? I said, um, Almost. And, and a penny dropped. Mm. It's great having trophies on your walls. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't pay the bills. Mm. That doesn't create a, success, a financially successful company. Mm. Putting the trophies on our clients' walls, that makes a successful company. Yeah. So we manage our turnaround times very carefully. Okay. And we try and keep it to a minimum whilst not jeopardizing the final outcome of the product because there is a curing time and there's it takes time to get mm. these things right i'll never ever rush a trophy we've got a lot of very good artists and we have tiers of of management that ensure that the quality of the artistry is impeccable and i'm part of the the management tiers i still to this day still go through and check trophies it must be done we all, all the, the, the senior artists have their days, and you're responsible for checking all the other artist trophies on that day. Our art director has won the world championships three times. Mm. He's the most incredible artist. He's a, a sculptor of note. He does beautiful bronze work, and he's passionate about the industry at large. Yeah. So we all work together to ensure the quality is, is maintained. What, what, what is, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot now because it, it is a terrible question, but what, what is your turnaround time? Not a terrible question at all. Between six and ten months Okay. Um, on taxidermy. Obviously, it also depends on how customized the whole thing correct. is. I yeah. mean, if you're going to throw an elephant my way, then I'm going to turn around and say it's going to be closer to ten months. Okay. Um, our average turnaround time is eight months, which I believe is, re is, is relatively fair. Okay. Eight months from the day that we receive our deposit. Not mm. eight months from the day that you leave the hunt. Okay. When you pay, we start. Mm. Done. That's yeah. when the timer starts. Um, I've had clients say, yeah, but I was in South Africa two years ago. I haven't had my, got my trophies back. I said, oh, terribly sorry, sir. Quick question. When did you pay your deposit? Yeah. Uh, three months ago. So, but From there. It's mm. not as if we haven't been mailing you because we've covered that. Yeah. We have an entire squadron of very capable service administrators that 
contact the clients by phone, by email, you name it. We get mm-hmm. all of the guys. Um, yeah, dip and pack, turnaround time, 90 days. Also, okay. depending on the permits, certain CITES permits take longer. Um, it's just the way life has gone. Yeah. The, the, the government departments that issue the permits do sometimes have a lag or, mm. in South Africa's case, no electricity, and that plays a role. Um, yeah, load shedding. Yeah, load shedding. Um, which we've managed to evade quite nicely because we've got lots of windows everywhere. So we just, mm. we've gone across to battery operated tools and keep working. Um, mm. That's pretty cool. But yeah, on the whole, six to 10 months turnaround period for taxidermy. And then three to four months is the dip and pack turnaround. Doug, and then just, you've you've touched on so many things and I just, this, I know this podcast could go on for hours and hours and hours, but when you walk through here, just the, like I mentioned earlier, just the sheer amount of, of different and inspiring things you're doing, from a personal aspect, where do you think the taxidermy industry is going in the next five to ten years? We're not taxidermists anymore. And I've believed this for a long time. We are, we are hunt and trophy managers, I suppose you could say. Hmm. We're there to manage the experience after the hunt. Okay. We, we're a taxidermist. We should be able to mount these trophies well, with all due respect. Yeah. Don't turn around and say, well, we do beautiful work. That's why you should support us. That's not the only reason. I know taxidermists who do incredible work, mind-blowing stuff. But it will take you three years to get a trophy back. Mm. A client of mine once said, he said, boy, I don't buy green bananas. <laughs> Yeah. He didn't have the time. Yeah. Life was short. Mm. And I thought, you know what? Let's get the trophies back to them while the memories are still fresh. Mm. And I mentioned earlier, it triggers the next purchase yeah. experience. We are doing this as a business. Mm. So the idea is that clients come back. And invariably, a client will not book their next hunting experience mm. until they have concluded the previous one. And the conclusion is the receipt of great taxidermy. So for an outfitter, our advice to them, and it's part of the way we, you said, what, what's the pitch? What's the, how do you persuade the outfitters? If we do what we do really well, your clients are going to get the benefit of our artistic abilities and our service. And invariably, they'll book another hunt with the same outfitter. If they have a negative experience with a taxidermist, quite often they book with another outfitter, a different one. So let's, I mean, it makes sense. Why, and then why South African taxidermy? Why should somebody that's hunted Africa choose South African taxidermists to mount the animals? Great question. Go back to those three principles I mentioned earlier. Product, price, service. Okay. Taxidermy in the past in South Africa was not great. And because of the the advertising methodologies in the U.S. specifically, where um, they can quite easily, I don't want to use the word, but they can bash their competitors in their marketing. They can say, we are, Chrysler is better than Ford. Yeah. They can say it outright. South Africa, we don't do that. Mm. It's just uh, legally we're not allowed to either. But in the past... The American taxidermist would say the quality of the taxidermy coming out of South Africa is not good. 
And I would have agreed with him mm. because the tanning in Africa was secondary. It, was, a, it was, was nowhere near as good as the tanning was in the U.S. And I'm talking years back. But over years, South Africa has improved and our tanning is now on a par, if not better, than the U.S. Because we are used to working with our skins that have a set oil content and stretch and all the rest. The longer a skin is left in a dry state, the less movement you get in the skin, which means there's less detail in the mount. So you don't get accurate sizing. Hmm. So the sooner you mount your animal, the better. So why would we dip and pack it, send it to a tannery, who's going to tan it wet and then dry it again, then send it to a taxidermist, there it's going to sit. Because the average taxidermist in the States, they turn around time 12 to 14 months, and that's a quick one. Yes, is it that long? Yeah. Plus the dip and pack and the shipping, so that's six months. So let's say their taxidermist is a 12-month turnaround plus the six months. That's 18 months. Hmm. Plus the two months before they actually pay the bill, that's 20 months. Whereas we can finish the wall work and have it on your wall in under 12 months. Your skin's going to be fresh when we work on it. We're going to get the most movement out of the skin. Our tanning is on par. That and our artists are familiar with the animals they're mounting. So you think we've kind of bridged that gap? We've bridged the gap, 100%. We've not only bridged it, we've turned around and said, let's play the game at our rules. Mm. If I mount an elk, there are elements in that elk that will always look like a kudu. Yeah. Guaranteed. <laughs> if I mount a mountain lion, which I've done plenty, there are elements that look like a leopard. Mm. By the same token, I know a lot of mountain lions in the States that have been done, a lot of leopard in the States that have been done, mm. that have elements of mountain lion and kudus mm. that look like elk. Mm. So we know our species, we know our game. Yeah. That goes back to my background with photography. We utilize mm, thousands of images to reference. We take our staff out into the game reserves and actually go and sit and watch animals. Really? That, absolutely. There's a small game park near Port Elizabeth. Yeah. And we take out, we've got a, a van, everyone jumps into the van, we go out with a picnic, and we literally go and drive around, we'll find a nyala standing there, and we'll just sit there and just watch this nyala move. Just watch. We'll take them down to the racetrack, not to go and gamble on horses, but we can get close to a horse, so you can see the movement. Mm. So we expose our staff, the artists in the company, to the animals, whereas a lot of the taxidermists in the States haven't always had exposed periods of time yeah. to the wildlife. Yes, they've been here. Yes, they've hunted. And they've seen the animal dead on the floor. But like that eland mannequin that we're busy sculpting, mm. the reason that thing is so exceptional is we've spent time with eland alive, mm. not dead on the floor in front of us. It's, it's mind-blowing. It really is. It's one of the most inspiring walk. I mean, I've been through many walkthroughs. I've been to the States how many times. Mm. But this little walkthrough that we did now was just unbelievably inspiring just how everything just starts coming to life and it's something that i feel well, i feel extremely privileged now to have done it but but i feel that if you are in the industry whether you're an outfitter ph you've got to do this at least once a year at least just yes, absolutely just to update your knowledge and just to really so that you can start projecting this sort of stuff to the client because i think i think it's an incredibly important part of the whole thing and mm -hmm. The more you value these sort of things, the, the better it is going to be for the future of the industry. We, we love what we do. Yeah, um, you can see it. Really, we, yeah, we've been very fortunate along the way. But, Doug, before we close off, I just want to 
as part of the new side of things, the scullies and all that, how, how does one go about communicating that with you guys? If if they are, if they haven't yet known about it and they do somehow now, do they just communicate? Uh, so, social media channels are really good. Um, okay. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, YouTube channel is strong. We're starting to put up a lot more information on YouTube. Okay. We enjoy the videography side of things. Um, you can email us directly, info at splittingimagetaxidermy.co.za okay. or our website, Splitting Image Taxidermy. Um, yeah, Scully's is a standalone company. It's, it is not, it's not Splitting Image Taxidermy by any means. Okay. This is something that I would hope that other taxidermists would promote onto their clients. Mm. I'd like to share this with the industry at, at large. This is not something I'm saying I've created this little idea and I want to keep it for Splitting Image Taxidermy yeah. to grow. I don't. I think that this is something that will benefit the industry as a whole. Um, there are there are a lot of options available, and all we need clients to do is literally ask the questions. We're starting to build up the promotional material that tells the story and creates the narrative around the product, um, but it takes some time. It's, it's Warwick, a new Warwick mentioned something that if your mount is here, you still got it here, they can, they, it's not too late to 3D no model it. Uh, we can we can 3D right up until the day that it's about to leave, as long as the horns are in front of us. Okay. We can create the models for you which is fantastic. It's um, mind-blowing. It's it really what, what is pretty cool, we talk, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you close off, but I, I, I appreciate what you guys do for the business um, and the industry at, at large. Let's say a client comes in and he says, right, I've got 10 animals and he's amped about it. And he knows that he's got an eight to 10 month turnaround period ahead of him. It's a long time to wait. Mm. It's, it's truly delayed gratification, especially in the world we live in where everything's click, click, and now. With scullies, when you arrive, your trophies get scanned. Eight to ten weeks after you leave, your scullies are finished. They get put into a UPS box, mm. beautifully branded, nice, nicely wrapped up, and you have stickers inside it. That box gets sent over to the US. It costs you $200 to send that box to the US. No permits, no waiting. Three months after you leave the country, you receive a box with UPS. Open your box, and there's your miniature skulls in front of you. Done. So we're breaking down the time between the adventure and the excitement and receiving the trophies at the end of the taxidermy process. And at the same time, you're creating Great. so many different conversation uh, pieces. It's just awesome. It, just, it ignites a whole new conversation. Um, and after all, that's what this is all about. Yeah. Taxidermy, it's an awesome prop for an amazing story. You guys, you're the, I mean, you're, you're, you're the actors in the stories. You're, mm. you're the, the protagonists. You're the guys who are out there creating these adventures for these clients. Um, and they get these props back and they get to tell their story over and over again. Mm. It's, it's radical. Like, I, I can't tell you how motivated, how inspired I am. And it's just, I, I highly encourage anyone listening to this or, or watching it. Just to come along. I mean, do you guys do walkthroughs or? The door's always open. It's honestly, and I feel extremely privileged to have shared today with you. And, and thank you so much for doing that's this. That's a I pleasure. Mean, I know you're crazy busy with all no, the stuff cool. that's going on. But it's it's honestly, it's been a, a real inspiration. And I, I can't thank you enough for all that you do for the industry. Perfect. And, and you know, just creating different different side of things. It's It's been incredible. Absolute pleasure. PH Journals will be front and center in our marketing as well. I appreciate it. Um, and I, I 
do hope that we get to do more. Yeah. Um, I'd love to get involved in questions and answer, answer mm-hmm. sessions. Um, so if any of your viewers do have questions about taxidermy, um, let them shoot them through and I'd be happy to get back together again and, and do a follow-on series and oh, man, awesome. give me a time slot. I don't yeah. care. Um, the more we can spread the good news, the better. Yeah, 100%. Doug, thank you so much. I appreciate really it. appreciate it. Super. See you.